I don't want to die. I like being alive. I like cheeseburgers. Come on. I like ball games. I like movies. I like laughter. I like my friends. I like church. Most of the time, I like my family. I'm just kidding. My boys are in the service. I like your mom all the time. Uh, <laughs> no, I like my boys all the time, too. It, 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 I, I just like it. I mean, I love, I love life, but I think I'm dying. This knee and this shoulder and sometimes my back remind me that I'm dying. My graying hair, and I've noticed when I see pictures of me turned around pointing to the screen, my fleeting hair <laughs> remind me that I'm dying. Now, don't, I, I'm going to do everything I can to fight it off. Like, I'm committed to exercise, to salads, sometimes instead of the cheeseburgers, to plenty of water and plenty of sleep. And I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I'm pretty sure that one day it's going to get me. You see, I believe that death is going to get all of us one day. And for me, I hope it's when I'm 80, 85, 90, maybe 95 years old. But one day it's, it's going to get me, death. One day it's, it's going to get you. And I think we thought differently about this a couple of years ago. And then something happened. And I couldn't put my finger on it until I heard an interview a, a few months ago with Mark Sayer, who is an author and pastor. He's an Australian pastor at a church called Red Church in Australia. And he, he said something, I was like, that's, that's it. That's, that's why we're feeling all what, what we're feeling. He said that, you know, we thought, we thought that we had conquered nature, Right? There was a time humanity was terrified of nature. John Wesley wrote about how terrified he was riding in a ship over from England to America to come plant churches and share the gospel in America and, and almost died because of the storms, just terrified at the, the awe-inspiring wonder of God's power. Martin Luther had his conversion in a thunderstorm, scared to death at the awesomeness, literally the awesomeness of God. We used to be terrified of nature, but not us. We've conquered nature, right? Nature says we can run the very best humans, 20, 22 miles an hour, not for long, but we can go 70, 80 miles an hour in cars for as long as we want, as long as we keep filling up. Nature says gravity keeps us on the ground, but not us. We fight gravity 
thousands of times a day as we zoom in the air across the country and across the world. And when there's a thunderstorm, we just go inside and 99% of the time we're okay. And you probably haven't thought about the possibility of being attacked by a wild animal this week. We've conquered nature. Until one day we woke up in March of 2020 and nature fought back. And all of a sudden we realized that perhaps we weren't as under control as we thought and every single one of us for the last two years had to come face to face with this reality, our mortality. That perhaps nature was more powerful than we thought. Uh, that perhaps, we asked this question, all of us in the last two years, what if nature gets us? We will not live forever. We had some friends, some loved ones, some family members that nature got in the last couple years. And we all realized that our lives are more fragile than ever before. We realized that we're not in control of nature, in fact, like we thought, that we are mortal. That's pretty unsettling. But that wasn't it. I loved what Sayer said about this. We also thought that we were, we had conquered human nature, right? We're enlightened. I mean, we live in modernity. We are so civilized, and we thought, we thought all the problems, we, th we thought that we were done with racism and tyranny and ethnic and political hate and world wars. Those were for 50 years ago, maybe even 100 years ago. And it turns out, it turns out the last two years taught us that we've still got some ground to cover in regard to race. And tyranny is invading, as we speak, the edges of Europe. Europe. And we've seen hate, and we've seen violence, and the political division is worse and uglier on both sides of the aisle than it ever has been. We thought we were enlightened. And it turns out that human nature is still broken. It's almost like we woke up watching the news in 2020, and we're like, oh, man, Humans are still a mess. Like we're still a mess. We still have things in our heart. Human nature is still broken. And we're more messed up than we ever thought we were. One of the reasons that the last two years have been so unsettling and our anxiety has escalated in our world is pretty simple. That we're mortal and broken. We realize this. I I'm mortal, and I'm broken, and you, you're mortal, and you're broken. And I think Jesus came to fix these two things. And come on, right, right, most of your prayers have centered around these two problems, right? We pray against mortality. We pray for loved ones to be healed and for surgeries to go well. Surgeries are just a little sneak peek that we're mortal. 
And we pray for diseases to be healed and for loved ones to not pass away. We, uh, we have so many prayers against our mortality. And then the rest of our prayers are about our brokenness. The hurt that we caused somebody or that someone caused us or that someone called somebody that we love. And we pray for reconciliation and for the pain to end, for the anxiety to end, for the divorce to not take place, for there to be restoration, for the prodigal sons and daughters to come home to their moms and dads. This is what we pray for. These are the two things we pray for most, our mortality and our brokenness. And I want it to be true that I could pray for those things and God would just fix both of them. But I know that's not true. Is that, is that what it means that God is our champion? Is that what it means that Jesus is the champion? Is that what it means for us to have victory in this life? You see the danger with that, right? Because we know it's not true. And all of us have had prayers about someone's mortality, about some couple or some family's brokenness that didn't come true on this side of heaven. All of us have. All of us have prayed prayers in the last two years that didn't come true. That God didn't answer with the yes. And this is so important because we are going to have more prayers that go unanswered. We're going to have more prayers that go unanswered. And one day we'll have a prayer for ourselves not to die that will go unanswered. And so does that mean that Jesus isn't champion and victor over everything? Is, is that the kind of promise God gave us? I think that it's a different kind of promise and an even better one. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this promise that the resurrection of Jesus gives us that not only offers hope, but answers some of our biggest questions about mortality and our brokenness, the two things that we can't seem to fix. Now, I say... Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, because we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. Some believe that it was Paul. Some say that it was Apollos. Some say Barnabas. Some say uh, Clement. Clement, he was a kind of a lesser known uh, disciple uh, in, the, in the early church. Some say Timothy wrote it. There's even one scholar that believes Priscilla wrote it who was one of the first female apostles. The reason we don't know is unlike most of the other New Testament books, the writer of Hebrews doesn't identify themselves. So we don't know. Now, you can guess who the book of Hebrews is written to. Who's it written to? Hebrews, right? <laughs> That's right. It's written to a Jewish audience. And the Jews did not have much of a concept of heaven or hell. In fact, they didn't have very much of a concept of even the afterlife. Jesus introduced this, this idea. And the Jews also had this idea that God was just wholly other, and rightly so. If you read the Old Testament, read the Jewish scriptures, there are things in there. It's terrifying sometimes. 
when Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 is in the presence of God and kind of called into service as a as a prophet of God he's in the presence of God in the temple and he, he doesn't say oh it's so great to see you we sing songs about we see your face not Isaiah he said woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips like I can't it is it is a terrifying thing to be in the presence of God God is God is other. So for them, so for Jews, the idea of this Savior, this Messiah, who would suffer and die, it made almost no sense to them. How could God die? And more importantly, why would God die? The writer of Hebrews answers this question. And he tells us that Jesus had to die, why he had to rise again, and what it means for us. So we're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 2, if you're in sort of toward the end of the New Testament, if you've got your paper Bibles, sort of toward the end there. Um, so I'll let you turn it. Hey, I didn't get a chance to introduce myself. My name is Carter, and I'm a pastor here at Mountaintop. It's really great. To, to see you here, those of you that are new or here every week, thanks for coming out on a rainy day. Thanks for tuning in wherever you are, uh, watching from home or, or maybe on a weekend trip. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible of your own, a hard copy, take one of those bookshelves when you leave. We want that to be our gift to you. We'd love for you to just study it and explore it. And if you have questions, we'd love to walk through, walk through it with you. Listen to what the writer says. So to this, this whole mindset, this whole world who would say, like, it makes no sense that Jesus would even come to earth, it, that God could become human, this God whom Isaiah said is, you know, woe is me, I can't even be in your presence, this God who Moses, the greatest prophet of all time, the greatest leader in the Old Testament of all, couldn't even look at the face of God when God was in his presence, it made no sense to them that this God would come to earth and then die, but listen to how the writer of Hebrews explains it had to happen. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. So in their mind, God is up here, and then there's angels a little bit below God, these heavenly beings who are also pretty terrifying. Every time a, an angel shows up in the Bible, what do they say? Do you know what they say? Don't be afraid. Because they do not look like a Hallmark greeting card. Like, they, like, like a, a heavenly being shows up and it probably looks more like the Avengers. And they're, and they're like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So we've got these God, these heavenly beings, these angels. And it says Jesus was made lower than them for a little while, 33 years. Us on our level. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Not in spite that the reason G Jesus has honor, the reason Jesus has glory, it's a paradox from what we've always thought about God. It is because he has suffered death. So that by the grace of God, by God's grace, by something that we don't deserve, by something that we didn't earn, by something that we can't achieve, totally by God's gift, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, this 
means more than just taste. We're like just a, just a little taste. The, the Greek word that the writer of Hebrews uses here actually means to eat. He ate death for everyone. Somebody had to take on death. Somebody had to die. It, we're reminded of this in the garden on the night before Jesus is crucified. His, his prayer to his heavenly father is, hey, dad, if we could work out another arrangement. If there's any, uh, this, is the, this is the words Jesus said, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, it would be really great if we could work out another plan. But nevertheless, not my will. But not, there was no other way. I, I, when I always think about this, I'm always reminded of, uh, of a great movie, National Treasure. Anybody seen National Treasure? It's a great movie. When, anybody over here seen National Treasure? Y'all watch movies over there? Okay. I didn't know if this side of the room watched the movies. Um, and uh, so, oh gosh, it's over a decade ago. So if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to spoil it for you, but you should have seen it by now. And um, it's this great movie where they, uh, Nicolas Cage, he's a good guy. He's crazy. He has to steal the Declaration of Independence to protect the Declaration of Independence from the bad guys that want to steal the Declaration of Independence. So he's going to give it back. They want this treasure map on the back that they believe this treasure, this great national treasure exists. And so he, he steals it. He saves it. It's a whole kind of action movie and the whole thing, and they find the treasure at the end. Turns out there is a map on the back. I don't think there really is, so don't try it. Um, but anyway, so he, they find the treasure, and at the whole time, there's the good guys, Nick Cage and his friends, and there are these the bad guys that just want the treasure and don't really want to preserve American history, and then there's like the FBI, CIA people. So there's like there's these three groups of people. Who are the good guys? Who's the bad guys? Um, and at the end, he gets the treasure. He finds it, and he meets up with the, the head of the CIA, or the head of the FBI, the, the guy that's been chasing him the whole movie. And the guy asks him, like, hey, what are you going to do now that you found the treasure? And he's like, oh, it should go to the museums, because he's just got such a really altruistic heart. And he says, well, what about you? What do you want, basically, for finding this treasure? And Nicolas Cage says, I would really like to not go to prison. But there's a problem. If the Declaration of Independence gets stolen, this is what the guy responds to him. He says, somebody's got to go to prison. Man, that's the prayer in the garden, right? <laughs> what would you like? What do you want me to do, son? I would really like to not die. I would really like to not go to the cross. And I think somewhere God said it to Jesus in his heart, to his son, son, Somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to eat death. Now, this is such a radical thought for the Jews reading this because God is up there, all-powerful, this awesome God. N not down here, but listen to what the writer says in the next verse. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom 
Everything exists. So this is this God, this God that created the heavens and the earth, this God that it is written about in Genesis, this God. It is fitting that that God who created everything, this God that you worship, who is awesome and who is holy other and who is all-powerful, should make the pioneer of their salvation or the captain of their salvation or the champion of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And this word, uh, perfect, it, this is hard to understand because you and I don't, we understand perfect as like flawless, right? Without blemish. But that's not quite what this Greek word, the Greek word that the writer of Hebrews uses there is teliao, teliao. And it means to finish or to accomplish or to bring to an end or to complete. It's much more about finishing, about completing. He, he made his mission and, salva and our salvation complete by suffering death. Jesus didn't come to avoid death. Jesus came to defeat death. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if Jesus doesn't die, then death can't be defeated. Our salvation can't be complete, it can't be finished, it can't be done without the suffering of Jesus. And this had a huge purpose for our status with God. And this is such a stunning line that it takes my breath away. It takes my breath away. But the one who makes people holy... The one who you view as out there, the one that you view as up there, the one that you view as just holy and other and you can't touch him and you can't see him and you, you can't even stand to be in his presence. That one, that one has made himself present in Jesus. The one who makes people holy and those who are made holy. Whoa. That's you. That's me. Are of the same family. When Jesus took on death, when he ate death, when Jesus suffered and died a human death just like we will, the possibility of our future change, when we put our faith in him, he gave us equal status in God's kingdom with Jesus. You are part of the family of God. Because of the death of Jesus, you are not an outcast. You are not an outsider. You are not someone out there. You are family. There's an old hymn we used to sing when I was growing up in the Baptist church. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Joint heirs with Jesus. You are a joint heir. You're, on the, you're in the same paragraph in God's will. You get the same thing Jesus had, holiness, purity, redemption, resurrection. You get it all. And then the kicker, the kicker is, is this. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Look at me. 
Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother. Jesus is not ashamed to call you sister. All of us, all of us, all of us have some skeletons in the closet that we're ashamed of. Oh, if Jesus really knew what I'd done, if he really knew what I'd thought, if he really knew what I said, if he really knew what I thought about saying, if he knew what I wrote, if he knew what I did in the dark when no one was looking, if God would be so ashamed of me, God's not ashamed of you. The cross wiped shame away. That's forgiveness. That's mercy. That's grace. Grace means Jesus is not ashamed of you. Some of you look at your past, you look at your present, and you feel so ashamed, but I just want you to know something. Grace means Jesus is not ashamed of you. Now, all of these Hebrews are going, I mean, are you sure? Are you sure this is the same God who after one mistake by Adam and Eve put an angel with a flaming sword at the Garden of Eden and a big keep out sign? Like this is a God who takes sin really seriously. This is a God who, who takes transgressions. I mean, they're a big deal to God. And I love the writer of Hebrews, he quotes the Hebrew scriptures, he quotes Psalms and he quotes Isaiah as if to say this has been God's plan all along. Yes, it's a God who takes, who takes sin seriously. I'm not saying he doesn't take it seriously, the writer says, but the God's heart has been always to figure out a way to defeat sin. And he says, he says this, there's a quote in Isaiah in the Psalms. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. God's plan has always been to bring in brothers and sisters. And again, I will put my trust in him that when we put our trust in Jesus, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. I have always had a plan, God is saying to the writer of Hebrews, to bring in more children always it has always been my idea to invite those to adoption and then the writer concludes with some of the most rich theologically beautiful words about understanding why God became human why he had to die and why his resurrection was an absolute game changer since the children of the flesh and blood that's me that's you since the children have flesh and blood, there was only one way. Somebody had to die. He, too, shared in their humanity. His knee hurt. And maybe he had a bad shoulder like me. And maybe when Jesus got 29 or 30, he had the long hair and the beard, but maybe there was a little bald spot back there. <laughs> he shared in our fragility, our mortality, our humanity. He was really human. 
so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. His whole plan, he had to become like us. That was the only way to break the power of death, to take back from what Satan thought he'd won through the power of sin that grips every human. He broke through the chains of death. He rescued us by his grace. We became free from the one thing that feels like we're never free of, death. And then, the very end, and then I love it how he closes it out. To free us, he says, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. All their lives who have wondered what happens when we take our last breath. All our lives when we wondered what happens in the afterlife. What is beyond the grave. God became mortal to give us immortality. Jesus came to destroy the two things of which we're most afraid. Death and rejection. And can we be honest? We're most afraid that those things will be combined. And that at our death, will be rejected by God. And Jesus came to declare, the writer of Hebrews says, in the most beautiful way, death and rejection died at the resurrection. Death and rejection died at the resurrection. Yes, I'm dying slowly. And so are you. So are you. Yes, I'll be rejected by some people, and so will you. But we don't have to be afraid of either. And the reason I care so much about this is that this will change your life, and this will change your perception, not to be reckless, or to, but to be fearless, for you to put your identity in this, for you to put your personhood in this, your security in this, knowing that the God of all creation receives you. The God of all creation has swallowed the bitter pill for you, has defeated death. The God of all creation, who is, seems like he's up there and out there and too holy, has invited you in to make you holy, to call you sons and daughters and sit you right beside his one and only son you are part of the family and that will change everything about how you see yourself when someone else rejects you when you are afraid of something in life if you would just know you don't have to be afraid of death you don't have to be afraid of all that the devil wants you to be afraid of you don't have to be afraid of what people think about you or say about you or how they reject you you what did it say you are free Free from those change, free to be exactly who God made you to be. This is the promise of the resurrected champion. And don't you let the enemy convince you otherwise. And don't you let the voices around you tell you what you are or who you should be or what your future is. We're going to die, but Jesus took care of it. We're broken. But Jesus took care of it. You are free. You are free. The promise you have is that you are free. Death and rejection died at the resurrection. And listen to how the Apostle Paul 
just declares this in his words in Roman 8. Listen to this promise. If this is true, if this is real, if this, is, if this sits in our hearts, listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him who graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who will condemn? When you have that little voice in you that says you should be so ashamed, you should be so, you, you should be so guilty over what you did, who will bring any charge against you? Paul says no one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and he is also interceding for us when the devil tries to whisper in God's ear that you should be ashamed of what you've done Jesus is in the other ear saying dad I took care of it who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall hardship or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the powers, nor the height, nor the depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate you. I want you to listen. The resurrection turned heaven's courtroom from a criminal trial into an adoption ceremony. And Jesus has already signed the papers. If you just want to say, Dad, I want to come home. Death and rejection died at the resurrection. So we're mortal. So what, devil? We're going to rise again. We're going to live with Jesus forever. So I'm broken. So I've got some shame. So I've got some guilt. So I've got some sin. So what, devil? I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of death and rejection. Jesus loves you. And Jesus is not ashamed of you. And even death cannot, will not take it from you. That is what it means to receive the full-hearted love of our champion as Tori shares this song just singing over you you just stay seated and I want you to just open to this love of the father and his son our champion